Hey, it's Andrew, and welcome to Network Disrupted, where technology leaders make sense of network disruption together. Quick note before we start. If you're crunched for time, I do send episode summaries to the Network Disrupted email list. Sign up for that if you'd like on the website, networkdisrupted.com. So with that, let's get started. How have you enabled your infrastructure fundamental change over the last five years and partnering with the business is critical. The tools exist on the cloud, change at the rate necessary, secure by design. Something I often see technology leaders struggle with is this inability to marry their initiatives with the core business. Frankly, it leads to IT having less relevance when the business needs them now more than ever. Today, we're talking to David Markwell, SVP of technology at Loblaw. To give the non-Canadian listeners some context, Loblaw is the biggest network of grocery and pharmacy brands in Canada. Brands like Joe Fresh, No Name, President's Choice fall under its umbrella, both online and in their almost 2,000 physical locations. In the next 20 minutes or so, you're going to hear how David thinks about managing friction with his counterparts, how he understands his customers more deeply how he's grown into his leadership role, and what actually matters when pushing your business forward. To shed a little bit of light on David's mindset, I want to tell you this little story. When I asked him what he does, he spent maybe 15 seconds walking me through the what of his job description, which is really what you'd expect it to be. He then spent five minutes telling me what he thinks his responsibilities are to Loblaw. To him, that's not just making sure everything works but guiding the business through smarter and more future-thinking investments. It's helping the business deliver against strategic imperatives, like improving the customer experience and optimizing supply chain. It's about managing risk, and it's also about helping the business modernize itself in both technology and mindset as they stay ahead of the curve. So with that, let's get started. You know, obviously, well, from from my understanding, Loblaw is in, in a massive number of businesses that a that a consumer walking into a single retail store doesn't necessarily appreciate and understand. Um, uh, but but that partnering with the business is, is critical. Um, and I, I think I think that I mean, has there been a fundamental change over the last five years in how that partnering worked? You talk about moving from you know a monolithic ERP system that's sort of delivered via project based. IT versus providing, you know, the the technology and, and capabilities and partnership with the business and sort of a focus on the the technology side as opposed to um, uh, more of a project based IT. Has, is that transformation um, seemingly well along the way at Loblaw? But was it was it a difficult transformation? And and how long ago did it start occurring? The fallacy is is that, especially in a in a business like Loblaw, that as you mentioned, is, is fairly large and complex. Um, it, it's actually a composition of many different businesses and services. Right? There's very large businesses. There's and within those very large businesses, some are very homogenous, like Shoppers Drug Mart. It's a consistent banner experience across 1,400 stores. And then you look at other large businesses, like our discount division, which are actually a collection of multiple. Um, banners, some regional, some national, like no frills. And so even within two very similarly sized businesses, you have variation in terms of their needs and their evolution in terms of their go-to-market strategy. And then you've got smaller retail businesses like Joe Fresh or TNT, um, Fortino's, right, where you're dealing with a network of 20 to 30 stores and a very different customer value proposition and a different mindset in terms of how they see their business. 
and also don't have the economics or scale to put solutions in necessarily that are um, you know of the same that you would put into a twenty billion dollar business. Right. And so that um, that that. And then you've got your different services like supply chain or finance or HR who are going through their own transition or the bank, and they're all in different phases of their own product life cycle. And so that would be, you know, if you think about a product or where, where a business is, you know, it could be very much in sustain mode. We're just running the business. We've got what we need, you know, where we, and that was fine. We found that was fine always in terms of how we interacted, where the friction always occurs is when businesses move it's either a new business that immediately goes into startup and then high growth mode, or it's an emerge or it's an existing business or line of business that is coming out of its sort of sleepy phase. You know, I've been doing the things I've been doing for the last 10 years and now I need to transform myself. Right. And so supply chain is a good example. I joined Lava 12 years ago to run the technology side of our supply chain transformation back then. And so for four years, we, Changed everything about the supply chain, the network, the physical buildings, the processes, the, um, the systems that supported it. And um, I think did a fairly good job because for seven or eight years, they didn't really need anything. And so, right. and then you start back up in the last year or so with um, more automation and just because the economics of the labor market, right, there's internal and external forces that force a business unit to rethink how they're operating. You can't just have people manually or voice picking grocery anymore right and also people don't want to lift thirty thousand pounds a day right and so there's different dynamics that come about and so that business turns from a, a sort of steady state business back into a um a transformational or growth business and that's what we were finding that the friction occurred and so it's really not it's a long way to go about saying that you need to be flexible in terms of how you engage with your business stakeholders you can't assume every business is in the same state. I think that that's been our biggest learning and um, just a matter of really understanding what that business needs at that particular time, who the stakeholders are, and um, then, you know, fronting that with a model and with the right people who get it and can jive with that team. And that's really the other big learning to think about the business and technology as one team. Right. Certainly I've been encouraging movement of people from the business into the technology teams and vice versa. I've had a number of you know, strong leaders move from my group out into the business units. And I think that's also the way the, the industry is going, right? It's more and more technology is the business. And you can't have business leaders anymore who are you know, technology neophytes, right? They need to understand how they can leverage it enough, right? They don't have to be deep technologists, coders, network engineers, but they need to understand enough about how it works and how the mechanics of getting things to market work so that they can actually plan effectively and drive the maximum value into their business unit. So we've also found that um, sort of movement of people and, and mindset shift hugely valuable as we've evolved as a business. No, I, and, and, and that goes to right what I was going to ask you, and, and, and that's fantastic. I think that shift and, and baking people in on both sides. No, I don't think you can formulate a business strategy. And as you said, you don't need to be, you know, geek level understanding the technology, but you part of the business strategy must include the technology. Otherwise, you're, 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 um, you know, the, the, it won't be an informed strategy. Um, and, uh, and so I think that's, that's fantastic that, that you embed people across. 
we see that a lot in in the different traditional silos in, in IT now, of course, whether it's whether it's security and and the networking team or you know just building cross-functional teams that are are driving out this technology. Um, but but getting that business expertise into the teams and vice versa, I, I think, is is critical. Um, otherwise, you, you create a uh, a a a dis- I, th- I think a, a stakeholder discussion that has gaps in it. You know, too much onus is on the technology team to figure out how to do something, uh, translating business requirements. Um, th- so, so that that's fantastic. Yeah, and that's a, that's a yeah. I mean, and more and more, like you, what you think you hinted on is the other key thing, which is these aligned objectives, right? Like whenever we do any kind of strategic planning, now we have shared objectives across business units and across business units and technology against the outcome that we're trying to achieve. And I mean, I credit our, our management board and Sarah for instilling that kind of collaborative culture across our business that we're aligning on shared outcomes. I mean, I can give a business example. I mean, 10, 12 years ago when I joined supply chain was intended to ship maximum cube. So they would stuff the 63 foot trailers as full as possible. And the stores were incented on turnaround time. And, you know, the poor student would come to the back door and I'd roll up the tractor trailer, roll up the door on the trailer and, you know, stuff would fall on them and be there for hours on loading. So that's an example of misaligned objectives versus now it's store operation merchandising are all intended on on-shop availability, which is what the customer sees. And so that allows this, you know, from a supply chain merchandising in-store operation technology perspective to say, you know, that's how we're moving our thinking to be customer focused and what is the customer or more, you know, also importantly, the colleague at store level experience, because um, we certainly learned that colleagues that are happy and satisfied also create an environment where customers can be happy and satisfied. And that uh, whole sort of focus has shifted from internal focus to serving our customers and making sure that we're giving them, you know, what they need to, to live their life well. Right, understood. Which requires obviously that understanding of the business objectives, uh, as you were mentioning before. You know, the the more degrees you can get away from your immediate customer, which might be the business, then then the the better aligned your decisions might be. So from a from from a so obviously there's 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 lots of things going on and 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 lots of things changing um, as you uh, deploy the the solutions in order to meet these uh, meet the business's needs. Um, where have been, you know, obviously I, I know there's been a lot of investment, for instance, in cloud, but, but how have you enabled your infrastructure or, you know, your technology to change at the rate necessary in order to be able to meet these needs of the business at some level of predictable cost and still, you know, uh, meet your requirements around cyber or, you know, compliance and governance? you know, how is, how is your investment technology fundamentally changed to enable those sorts of things? Well, I think I mean, it's an interesting question because so much of it is about mindset versus the, the actual technology. Um, I remember I, I got this t-shirt years ago. I won't say which vendor gave it to me. It actually wasn't one of the cloud vendors, but it said there is no cloud, just other people's computers. And right. so like that, that whole mindset around like it's compute or storage or networking, regardless of where it is. And, you know, the world is becoming more and more software defined. And so it's not about 
cabling things or racking and stacking and sort of hands-on anymore, but it's about leveraging those as assets um, to be consumed in an appropriate way, uh, you know, regardless of where they sit. As you go into everything being a, a low trust zone or an off network type zone, I mean, that again, is a mindset thing, but it's not like we don't know how to secure it uh, or um, put the diligence and controls around it. It just enforces what I think is more appropriate, which is compliance to your standards, right? You may have gotten away in the past and been lucky because you've had production drift or things that you could manage, but going to the cloud and going to a standard containerized architecture and everything being software defined forces you to, um, to adhere to your own standards and to monitor and check that because, you know, guaranteed the, whether it's the cyber criminals or whoever's out there, they, they all know when an endpoint comes unprotected a lot faster than you will because um, right. they're checking. So you better be checking equally well. Yeah, no, for sure. I, 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 I mean, personally, I think the cloud represents an opportunity to, um, you know, as, as you say, there's different mechanisms to to secure and ensure secure, but it, one, it gives you the, the ability to now d- design design this system to be secure in a very different way than we would think of in terms of deploying servers in a data center where, where as you said, location matters. And so let's remove location out of it, but also in terms of what you can observe in telemetry and how these things are defined in general. And, and, you know, thinking about things like policy as opposed to firewall rules and containerizing things and reducing the service of what can even be logged into think the tools exist on the cloud to build something that is secure by design and can continuously monitor and ensure security. That doesn't mean it can't be hacked into. But my point is, I think a lot of people think of the cloud as a less secure place to do things as opposed to a massive opportunity to build something much more securely. At this point, it it's, you know, I, I there's a basic assumption everybody's moving to cloud and they're either moving to cloud or they are investing a lot of money in um, in building cloud um, use cases, basically, you know, allow their own data centers to be used like a cloud with the same capabilities. And we see that a lot with our very large financial customers. So they're, they're, they're right. building cloud native on premise. But the point is, though, to provide those same capabilities regardless and ensure that um, we're not talking about servers anymore, but we're we, we have flexible capacity that can maybe you know um, boom yeah. out to the and cloud if necessary, right? And they're managing a different set of conditions, or they're managing their set of conditions, which is they have a large supply of assets they've already acquired. Moving to the cloud is as much a financial engineering exercise as it is a technical engineering exercise. You need to nobody wants to pay twice, right? You already have assets that you're depreciating out your OPEX in terms of depreciation or operating leases, and then to add in the cloud subscription or consumption costs on top of it, that's what everyone's trying to obviously mitigate because that hits your bottom line immediately. And so that's, that, that, I mean, that's typically why people would go to private cloud beyond obviously the idea that you can somehow control it better. Um, but um, that's, uh, that's certainly my perspective. We've, we have on-prem build capabilities like we haven't built a manual environment in probably two years unless it's a I'll say never but I mean there's the odd strange condition where we don't have that template or something needs to be set up for a POC or right. support on need 
Um, and so you can have those best practices, but we're certainly not. Um, and we'll leverage, obviously, the assets that we've got that are still viable in our data center, but we're certainly not, um, wherever possible, buying assets into our data center. Um, but uh, and we've sort of taken the, the hit a few years ago from a financial perspective to be ready. And so it was almost like we did the pre-work financially three and two and a half, two years ago to, to be ready, knowing that this would be the end game that we wanted and, and so that we weren't paying twice um, and that we were fitting within the financial framework that the, the company had set out for us and that we're adhering to. Given, given the reliance on the cloud or given the reliance of things outside of the data center, um, how has that impacted um, the, the, the networks to the retail stores themselves? Has there been a, has there been a shift there? You know, for instance, uh, absolutely. I mean, the yeah. stores themselves are becoming more and more dense with not just technology, but interactive technology. Um, and that's driven a need for increased bandwidth to, Certainly the large stores that would have, for instance, a bank pavilion, a PC Express, picking operation, lots of digital signage, um, colleague learning and training on their own mobile devices over Wi-Fi, those types of things. I mean, it goes without saying, and this goes back to managing operational risk. I mean, critical traffic like debit, credit, PC Optimum, gift card, adjudication of pharmacy, all those types of things. I mean, that's always regardless of what network is running to the store, regardless of how remote, that's always in critical high, and, and that goes, and that or, or SAP uh, at the store. So, I mean, that, that's that been protected. Where we've, you know, had the, seen the shift is in, you know, the next tier of traffic in terms of what's important in terms of go-to-market strategy for the particular retail operations and how do we um, allow the stores to become more like media centers or engagement centers um, without, you know, blowing the budget from a, a network bandwidth perspective. And part of that's been um, leveraging technologies on our legacy network infrastructure, like compression, prioritization, QoS, um, WAN acceleration type technologies to get the most out of that bandwidth. But now as we're doing videos and um, digital media and other types of services, I mean, we've, we've known for a while that's not enough. And by the end of this year, we'll have upwards of 500 stores on our enhanced uh, SD-WAN network, either leveraging sort of dual internet or LTE-type constructs or where required or because the service isn't available or just because the stores are so big, you know, just dedicated fiber lines. And so that's something that we're working through. And it takes time to work through the whole network, but uh, we're evolving the evolution of our store network as well. Yeah, got it. And, and we, we certainly see a, a good deal of investment on the SD WAN side for for those for those reasons. Um, and uh, and you know, in, in some in some cases, that means deprovisioning lease lines or MPLS, whatever. And and you know, in in and then therefore being able to take advantage of multiple types of connections um, to right. support to support that compute. Um, just to pick up on, you know, your 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 team's partnership with business is 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 for, from my perspective and talking to other leaders out there, the 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 amount of in depth partnership you have and 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 almost seemingly like the strategies are formed together is fantastic. So I, I would imagine 
part of that, it, that's something that's very hard to teach a young person in technology. What does the customer actually want and why? What are the business requirements behind this? Um, and so, so I would imagine there's, there's opportunities in the technology groups, even at earlier entry points, um, to gain some experience on the business side. So the question is, how do we give people the broad construct? Right. You got it. That, I mean, that's I mean, really the question. That we need to be where the customers are. So if people want to learn about stores, they need to be in stores and they need to not just observe, but work in stores or, um, you know, do a rotation. And so we, we encourage that, um, you know, when people talk about scan rate per hour as being an important metric at POS, why is that? Well, it's because if you don't stick to your scan rate, um, you know, you're going to have lineups and then people are going to be upset. And if the line gets more than three deep, people are going to drop their uh, or abandon right. carts and walk out, right? So it's, it's understanding that and seeing that happen sometimes um, that people then say, oh, well, that's why that's important. And that's what I'm building this business requirement around Right. And, and this is why, not because we don't want to do it, just because in terms of how that comes across to our customers, you know, there's different ways to do that. Right. There's messages on receipt, there's emails, there's signups, there's ways people can take things home and do them. Right. Versus just having a message on the pin pad and then having people um, tap away or enter email addresses, things like that, that hold up the whole process. Right. So it's really people understanding how that how that works versus just sitting in an office far away from the stores and thinking this is a great idea. Right. So that, that to me is one of the biggest things we do. We try and have an active role. Certainly myself and my leadership team get out in stores as frequently as we can, not just as shoppers, like going on a weekend to get your groceries, but um, actively going to stores, talking to the associates, talking to the people who are using the technology and this, and this processes every day. Uh, did, did you, I mean, so you mentioned earlier that you started, um, you started on the supply chain side in Loblaw and, and, and you've been there for a number of years. Um, I would imagine you had some great mentors along the way. What's, what sort of, you know, is there, are there things that, that you believe you've matured in the way you approach over the last few years as you've, you've, you've moved up in leadership role that, um, that you wouldn't have been able to do a few years ago? Like what were the key skills you've learned as you've, as you've, um, uh, you know, grown in the organization? Yeah, I guess I'm trying to think there's been so many, I mean, okay, let's do the top two or three. I mean, I think the first one is the farther up you go, the more time you should be spending on developing and mentoring people, whether it's on your team, whether it's across the business, like building future leaders. That to me is like the biggest lesson I've learned. And I take it, very seriously, I uh, actively mentor or sponsor uh, business in store operations, in supply chain, in merchandising, in the financial services group, um, only because I see it as so important to be able to build our next generation of leaders. And despite all the technology, we get things done through people. Right. Uh, and the second thing is, as, as you grow as a leader, um, in that same vein, but it's not just about the, the shadow you cast within your own group. It's about what profile and what value do you add to the greater organization. I'm active in our um, a diversity inclusion committee. I, I ran our AI community. Um, I've I built our analytics training program with some partners in the business side. Um, I've actively taken myself to a point outside of just technology where I don't want to be seen just as a, 
as a good technology leader, I want to be seen as a leader, point blank, or a great business leader. And so that, again, has been an evolution of something I've gone through personally to to understand that it's the shadow you cast and, and the value you add needs to be much greater than than what you just do for your own group or for your own sort of line function. Again, going back to that, what would, you know, 10 years ago or, um, you know, that, that would not have been my tactical. I would probably have thought that, you know, I know best and um, I just pound my way through to success. And that, that's not the case. Yeah, I, I uh, certainly, certainly, I, I, th- I think those are great. One, and, and two, uh, share that from earlier in my career as well. I, I remember a mentor once telling me, um, you, you, you did you did everything we asked. You did more than we asked. You predicted things we didn't ask for. Fantastic. But if you turn around, there's like dead bodies littered on the street behind you. You know, like, there, 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 there's a there's a way yeah. of doing things. And now where, turn around yeah. and, and rally them and do it again. Yeah. Right. Really exactly. Works, right. right. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't quite work that way. <laughs> Right. Um, well, great. I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, th- this was a, uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. I, I think, I think, I think your approach is, is, is so thoughtful and so, uh, customer and business and employee focused. Um, it's really, um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot to learn from that and, and there's a lot, a lot to be proud of. It, 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 it sounds like you're really, you're, you're, you're driving a business technology strategy that is, uh, future thinking and uh, and and is really embedded where it should be, at least from my perspective. And and I really appreciate that. And thank you very much for the conversation. Well, yeah, and I, I mean, I'll end. I mean, I appreciate those comments, but I do, you know, I would like to acknowledge that I've had a great team, and I have a great team who've um, always stepped up. And certainly, like I said, the the leadership of Loblaw and um, you know, Galen and Sarah and others have always really supported me and, and created a culture where these things can happen and be, uh, allow us to do things that, uh, you know, that we need to do. I think that's, that's just a credit to the organization and to the culture that they've built. So I think that's been a big contributor. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, thank you very much again. And I'm more than happy to continue this conversation either on Twitter at AWorkin or email me at andrew at networkdestructive.com.